Hey, to start out, uh, do you guys know what Adam said on the day before Christmas? It's Christmas Eve. <laughs> oh, man. I tried that one out on my kids, and it, they loved it. So I thought it would work out on you pretty well. Um, listen, we're, uh, we're talking about Christmas, and here's what we said from the very beginning. We said a couple things. Um, we've, said, we've said Christmas is a really beautiful fun season that we should get caught up in all the excitement and all the things that are going on. It's so exciting. Uh, But sometimes, isn't it true that we can sort of miss the meaning of Christmas um, by sort of getting caught up in all the other sort of nostalgic things about Christmas? And that would be a shame, right? Also, we've said this, is it's possible to know all the stories of Christmas. Like you can know all about the manger and the angels coming to the shepherds and you can know all the stories, but even still miss the meaning. And that would be tragic because there's the stories of Christmas and sort of like what happened, but what, what does it all mean for us? And that's sort of, you know, what, we've, what we want to be spending our time doing on these Sundays in Advent season as we approach Christmas. Um, so, uh, so we've said that. We've also said that Christmas comes with it a lot of expectations. Christmas, we put a lot of expectations on ourselves to make Christmas perfect. Um, Last week I showed some Pinterest fails. I've scoured the internet just for you guys and found some more fun. Check these out. So, because you can, we can all relate to this. Tons of, tons of, uh, you know, we we want everything to be perfect, but it's what? It's not perfect, right? Just like this. Um, Let's see, what's the next one? Um, You know, there's always that one kid, right? Everybody else is perfectly framed in the picture and loving it. And then there's just always that one. Um, What's the next one? Um, oh, wait, so um, this is just wrong, okay? This is just wrong. I've discovered that there are lots and lots of people with, taking Christmas pictures with their pets online. Uh, don't Google it because I did it for you. You don't even have to do it, okay? I'm, I'm going to spare you. Uh, but this is just wrong, all right? This shouldn't be happening. Um, also, it's actually a thing, if we can go to the next one, it's actually a thing for people to take like, like nativity pictures with their animal. That's a little cat, by the way, if you can't see. <laughs> Um, which is like double wrong, okay? Uh, and then for all you, all you like dog people who are like, oh, those cat people. Um, yeah, so <laughs> it's just, it just shouldn't be happening, right? Um, not good. And then I think there's one more, which is just like an epic Christmas fail here. This one's hilarious to me. <laughs> Sorry, honey. No, wrong, wrong person. Wrong person. Uh, there's a lot of pressure at Christmas for everything to be perfect. But actually, listen, listen. That's actually one of the beautiful meanings of Christmas is that the first Christmas wasn't perfect. There was so much going on. It, was, it wasn't perfect. And that's the point. God comes in the midst of our imperfect world. And he goes to work making all things right. The pressure's off. We don't have to make everything perfect because we've got Jesus, he's with us. This is part of what we've been looking at these last weeks. Um, But I wanted to, just real briefly, just give you a little history of Christmas. I tend to do this every Christmas because one question I get, especially as a parent with kids, and our church is filled with lots of parents with with kids, the question is, what are we supposed to do with Santa Claus during this season? Um, You know, are we supposed to like be anti-Santa? Are we supposed to, you know, what are we supposed to do? 
So I like to mention, I like to remind you um, a couple things. First of all, it's often said, it's often said, claimed that Christianity sort of, that there was this pagan holiday called the Sol Invictus, which sounds like a Vin Diesel movie, but it was actually like a, like a um, you know, it was like a winter solstice sort of a holiday. And it's often said that Christians sort of stole that day and used it for their own. Um, but if you go back and, and you look, that is absolutely not true. In fact, it's probably the other way around. Sol Invictus started in the year like 280-something. And Christians have been celebrating Christmas around that time for uh, long before that. So it was probably the opposite. Probably they started that winter solstice because it piggybacked onto the Christian holiday of Christmas. Um, St. Nicholas was a real person. He was born in the year seven, uh, sorry, 270 A.D. in modern-day Turkey. So he was, uh, he was, and he was Greek. Um, he was a Christian, and he was known for his generosity, especially to children. So he's a real guy, and he was a Christ follower, and he was known for his generosity. And you know, the, that sort of like morphed into. You know, the, the Scandinavians, they had Sinterklaas, and the, the UK area has Father Christmas. And it all just sort of points back to St. Nicholas. And, uh, you know, Sinterklaas and Father Christmas sort of merged together. So in, American, in the American tradition, in the year 1822, there was a guy named Clement Clark Moore. He was a pastor, an Episcopal minister. And he wrote a poem for his, for his uh, three daughters entitled, An Account of a visit from St. Nicholas. And it starts like this. Twas the night before Christmas, when all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. And in that poem, um, uh, you know, he sort of is one of the first descriptions of this sort of jolly St. Nick type character that we all know today. And then artists would draw pictures from that poem that Clement wrote. And, uh, and so that's where we sort of get this modern day idea of, of Santa Claus and like who he is and what he looks like. And so I just mention all that to say that really Santa Claus is rooted in, in uh, you know, goes back to St. Nicholas. So many Christians throughout the centuries have, have uh, you know, sort of, you know, taken that idea and it's fun, and, you know, and it's, hey, we can enjoy it. But I just think it, it all, it still all points back, it all points back to Jesus. Uh, if we let it. So that's how our family handles uh, Santa Claus at our house. And, uh, and we still have a lot of fun with it. By the way, Boniface, uh, uh, one of the great missionaries, Christian missionaries, he invented the, the wreath. Martin Luther, it was his idea to put lights on trees. Uh, so, so many of our Christian traditions are, uh, are, are rooted in uh, people who follow Jesus. Um, really, this is, this is right here um, where we land with Christmas. Um, this is, I, I stole this manger scene from my son Dawson. But, uh, you know, this is what we like to talk about at Christmas. So in here, we've got Mary, right? And we've got baby Jesus right here. Perfectly placed, a nice little cherub. We have Joseph. I stole this from uh, one of the other toys that we had at our house. He's wearing a John Deere hat. We didn't have a Joseph. So that fits perfectly. I can picture Joseph wearing a John Deere hat, right? And then here we have like all the, all the typical characters for Christmas. We have the, we have the uh, angel. We've got, obviously, we've got some, some animals. There's, I don't know if there was a camel there, but this one has a camel, perhaps. Um, we've got, a, we got like a horse. Oh, no, here's a horse. This is a donkey. Um, a sheep, obviously, totally had to have been there. A lot of people have, a lot of people have cats in their in their nativity scene. I don't personally think Satan was there, but I don't know. I mean, it's up to, 
I don't think that I don't think that he was there. But uh, there's a cow. Maybe the cow was there. And then, of course, we've got we've got the three. Um, this is going to get a little crowded here. We've got the three wise men right here, and then we've got this one little shepherd boy right here. And these characters right here, I'm going to put them in front because these are the characters we're going to talk about today. Um, because to me, to me, some of my favorite characters in this whole nativity scene are these, these wise men right here. And usually at Christmas time, I like to talk about the wise men because I think there's so much to mine from their part in the story. Um, and we'll talk about the, the, the shepherds as well because their stories kind of um, intersect and... Um, and uh, collide in a way because these characters right here are the first ones to respond to the news. They're the first ones to respond. They're the, sort of like the first ones onto the scene. They hear the news and they come. What can we learn from them? Um, that's what I want to do today. And I want to read the, the passages of Scripture that talk about them. This comes from two of the Gospels, from, um, from Matthew um, and from Luke. Um, but first, hold on, wait a minute. I, I skipped a part. I want to talk about these these, um, these are a little bit mysterious characters, these wise men um, and the shepherd. We don't know tons about the shepherd. You've heard probably before that shepherds were um, sort of a despised class in that day, and that's, that's actually very true. Um, shepherds in that day weren't looked upon very favorably. Uh, it, was, it was a profession that, that people sort of thought was dirty, and so they were people pushed to the fringe. Um, that's something that we need to know about them. And then we have these wise men, which are very, very interesting uh, to me, because uh, there's a lot we don't know about the wise men. And so tradition sort of puts a whole bunch of stuff on top of the wise men that maybe is not really true. Like for instance, the number. We actually don't know how many wise men there were. It doesn't actually say in the scriptures that there were three wise men. It says that there were three gifts that they brought. Uh, so maybe it was, um, you know, maybe it was two guys who were like really strong. Maybe it was four guys and one was cheap and didn't bring anything, you know. Uh, maybe there was 12. We, we don't know. We don't know, uh, but, there's, uh, but there's that. We also don't know exactly when they arrive at the manger. I know in this picture they kind of show up right away, but uh, they sort of s speculate that they probably showed up to the manger between six months and two years after the birth of Jesus. Uh, Jesus probably wasn't in the manger when the wise men showed up. Um, so that means if you want to have an accurate nativity scene at your house, you can do what some people, went. since I've started talking about this, I've heard that some people do this. Some people in our church actually now take their wise men, and instead of putting it on the nativity scene, you go to like the most eastern part of your house, and you just like put them there, and then you like point them in that direction, because they're on the way. <laughs> they're on the way. Um, that's probably a little bit more accurate. Um, also, um, also, we don't exactly know who they are. Uh, we know that, you know, some say that they were kings. Others say that they were pagan priests. Um, some say that they were astronomers and, and uh, um, astronomers, you know, astrologers and astronomers. And in that day, uh, really, sometimes those were all the same. It was like all, all in one. Uh, but we don't really quite know exactly who they were. And we also don't exactly know where they're from. It just says that they were from the east. Um, so we assume they're from like, you know, the Persia area coming from that direction, but we don't really know. And then they bring these gifts, right? These three gifts, um, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Uh, gold, is, gold is for kings and still is. And so it's interesting that they bring gold because they're acknowledging that Jesus is 
a king. That's why they bring him gold. Jesus is our king. Also, they bring frankincense, which is, if you listen to the name, it's, a, it's like a, it's a perfume. It's, a, it's an incense. And they would use it in, the, in the, the temple as a part of worship. So it's pointing to the fact that Jesus is not only our king, but he's also our, our priest. He's our high priest. They bring him incense. And then they bring myrrh, which is myrrh is sort of the outlier. outlier. It's an interesting one. It's a little bit odd. Um, because you see myrrh three times in the Bible. Once at Jesus' birth, they bring myrrh. And it's this sort of like spice sort of, sort of thing. It's like an essential oil. Maybe they're from Eugene. That's why they're bringing essential oils. I don't know. But, they're bringing, but they're, they bring this, this oil, this myrrh. And you see it at his birth. And then the next two places that you see myrrh, you see it at his death. That when Jesus is hoisted up onto the cross and they're going to offer him something to drink, it says that they offer him this this myrrh spice on a, on a sponge. This. And then the third time you see it is when Jesus' body is wrapped up. And guess what they prepare his wrapped up body with? Myrrh. And so it's just interesting how, how it shows up at his birth and his death. And it's, you know, it's just probably, you, know, you can kind of speculate, but it's just like, man, there's so much, so much symbolism in here. He's a king. He's our priest. And it's also sort of foreshadowing and pointing to his death. Um, all those things are taking place. Let me read it. It's from Luke chapter 2 and a little bit from Matthew chapter 2. Um, here we go. And there were shepherds lying out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the, of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I will bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. The Lord. By the way, Christ, the word Christ means Messiah. Christ isn't Jesus' last name, you know. Um, it's, he's Jesus, the Christ, Jesus, the Messiah. And that's what they're talking about. Um, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had told them, um, what, what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. And then this is Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. When Herod called the Magi, then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Liar, 
right? He's, he's trying to play him. He's trying to trick him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the, king, and the star that they had seen when, it, uh, seen when it arose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Um, what can we learn from, from, these, uh, from these responses? Uh, a couple things that I just find are so helpful. They're helpful for me. So I hope they're helpful for you. Um, it says that uh, the angels appeared to the shepherds and they said, don't be afraid, we bring you good news that will cause joy for all the people. Um, one of the reasons why I think it's such good news um, is obviously one we've talked about last week that the meaning of Christmas is that God has come to us. He is with us. That was last week. If you missed last week, listen to it online. But part of also the reason why it's good news is because of who the news comes to first. This is actually really good news for us. That the news, is, the news of Jesus' birth first comes to a group of shepherds and some wise men from the east. This is helpful to me because, um, because of who these people were. The, uh, the shepherd, you know, chances are good that the shepherds appeared to the, sh- or, sorry, that the angels appeared to the shepherds right in the middle of an off-color joke, you know? Like, chances are good that, like, the shepherd, they, they're just, like, they're not looking for it. They're not expecting it. And the angels appear to them. And, uh, and these this sort of like lower, very poor sort of class of that particular society, that's who gets to hear the news first. And then also these wise men. Um, here they come from the east. What's interesting is here they are. They're, they're pagan. They obviously know some of the Jewish scriptures because they quote some of it to Herod. But they're, uh, they're the wrong religion. They're Gentiles. So they're the, 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 the wrong race. They're from the wrong nation. I mean, everything sort of about it and from their point of view at that time was just wrong. No, no, no. Jesus, the Messiah is coming for the Jews, for the insiders, for the important, for the people who know what's going on. That's who Jesus came for, right? And buried in the story here is we see that no, no. That if one of the cool sort of helpful things and, and, and uh, things for us to understand the reason why it's good news is that right from the beginning, God's making a statement that I have not come just for the wealthy. I have not come for the important. I have not come to one particular people group. One p- kind of p- particular race doesn't get to own me. Nobody gets to look down their noses at anybody else. I have come for all people. No matter what your background, no matter who you are, no matter where you came from, no matter what your history is, no matter what your skin color is, no matter what language you speak, I have come for all, for everyone. That is good news. There's always been a divide between, between races. There's always been sort of a divide between classes, rich and poor. And right at the beginning, the people who hear the story first God is trying to make a statement. No, 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 no. We will not be divided. We will not look down our noses at each other because I have come to you and I'm revealing myself to you. That's the first thing I see. The next is this. Is God, speaking about the wise men, God got their attention through something familiar. He got their attention with something familiar. I love this part of the story. Here are these, uh, these 
these wise men, and again, we don't know much about them, so we kind of have to read into the story, but they're, they're obviously watching the stars. That's why people think they were astrologers. They're, they're looking at the sky. And, um, you know, and, and they, were, they, were, they weren't Christians. They weren't Jewish, so they're sort of, you know, probably their religion was based off of worshiping, you know, gods that they, you know, sort of had, had created out of the, out of the constellations and, and, you know, and things like that. And here they are. And you know what? God comes to them sort of in a way and you know what he doesn't do he doesn't come down and say like stop worshiping stars quit it don't do that God doesn't come down and take that approach God actually starts working with something they're familiar with to draw them to him that God essentially sort of comes into their worldview and gives them and gives them a gives them a star, gives them something that sort of draws them out towards the true king, towards the true Lord and Savior. He, he finds something familiar. That's really cool because you know what? I bet that's almost all of our stories here. You know that? Every, so many of us, we could get up here and I could just give you that microphone and you could tell your story. You could tell your story about how you were um, like a shepherd. You weren't even looking for it. You were just kind of doing your own thing and suddenly something happened. You had a dream. Somebody came into your life. Just something miraculous just happened and just, just woke you up. Or, or you were just, you were involved in something and, and, uh, and you, you know, you, maybe you were addicted to something or maybe you were just in this situation, you had this friend group, you know, whatever. And, and God did this miraculous thing where he used whatever was familiar in your life to come in and reach you and start transforming you and pulling you out. That is such good news that God does that. And he's doing that in this story. It's good news. Um, you might be thinking, man, I wish that God would send a star to my husband. I wish God would send a star to my wife. I wish God would send a star to my boss because he really needs you, Jesus, you know? Or I wish, you know, or she really needs you, Jesus. Uh, I wish, I wish, you know, we, we tend to think that, God, would you just sort of show up in people's lives? Send a star to someone so that they can see who you are. And my encouragement is perhaps God is responding to, to you know, it's a good thing that you want that person to, to see Jesus, but maybe God would say, hey, listen, I've already sent a star. It's you. I've already given them something. It's you. I've placed you as someone familiar to them in their life, in their world. I've placed you. Think about that. Maybe God is using you right now to come in into a familiar space with someone else so that they can see who Jesus is consider that. Number three is they worship Jesus even though he did not fit their expectations. <laughs> I love this one. Um, we don't know what the magi were expecting. All they knew is that there's a king that's born and we're going to find him near the star. So they travel. They travel a long distance. Long distance. Who knows just like how excited they're getting. Like, and they're getting, they're like 20 miles away. They're 10 miles away. We're finally here. We're finally going to meet this king. And they show up in, you know, apparently, and they show up in, in Jerusalem because it's like the big city. And they're, maybe they're expecting, if there's going to be a king born, it's like going to be in the big city. In fact, the king is going to be born probably in the nicest building around. Where's the nicest building? Oh, that looks like a big building. We'll go there. And they go to the big building. And then, okay, let's look at, for the nicest part of this building. Is there any part that's like gold crusted? Because that's probably where he's going to be. And so they go to, you know, they, they have all these expectations. Who knows what their expectations were for this, for this king that's been born 
And then, lo and behold, they find out, oh no, it's in Bethlehem. And they go, and what do they do when they show up to this probably little, little shanty house? You know, we don't, we don't know, but it's not royalty. It's not flashy. It's not what they were expecting at all. And they show up, and what do they do? They worship him. They worship him. To me, I find this so helpful. I find it helpful because we often, we often have the attitude that Herod did. And I'm speaking about my heart, and I, maybe you can relate. But Herod, he had sort of a self-interested appreciation and interest in Jesus. It was self-interested. You remember in the story, he's like, he's like, hey, tell me about this King baby Jesus, you know, because I want to worship him too. Wink, wink, you know. Um, you know, he's threatened. He wants to kill the baby. He doesn't want to, he doesn't, he doesn't want rivalry. He doesn't want anybody, another king around that threatens him. And so he's interested, but it's all, it's really self-interest. And how often do we approach Jesus sometimes saying, hey, Jesus, I'll be interested in you if you get me that job. Then I'll be interested. Hey, Jesus, I'll be interested if you sort of do everything that I expect you to do. And if you look the way that I expect you to look. Jesus, I'll be interested if you get me a husband or a wife. Then I'll be interested. Um, you know, Jesus, I'll be interested if, uh, you know, if, if you, he, if, if, as long as I don't get sick, as long as nobody in my family gets sick, then I'll be interested. I'll worship you. But if somebody gets sick, I don't know, I'm, I'm out. Sometimes we approach Jesus with this self-interest. And to me, I look at the wise men and they're looking at this baby Jesus that did not fit their expectation at all. Just completely out of the box. And they say, it's not what we expected. But this is the king. Maybe some of you are in a place where you are, you're frustrated at God because he hasn't done what you expected him to do. He hasn't showed up in a way that you expected him to show up. He hasn't done the thing that you prayed for and you're expecting that he does. And maybe, maybe keep praying. Maybe, maybe it's on his timing. But maybe there's this bitterness growing in you because you're frustrated that God does not fit your expectations. And if that's you, can I just, let's look at the Magi for a minute. Let's look at them. They came and they worshiped, even though Jesus didn't fit their expectations. That's instructive for us. It's helpful for us. It's helpful for us to sort of pray a prayer that says, God, I have these expectations. These are things that I'm hoping for. These are my hopes and dreams. But also, God, I know that after it's all said and done, I know that you're good and I know that you care. And so I'm going to follow you. I'm going to worship you. Maybe we need to pray prayers like that sometimes. Here's the next thing. Um, next is they offered their gifts generously. They offered their gifts generously. Um, they, uh, they carried their gifts a long distance. They traveled a long distance. And these gifts that they gave weren't cheap gifts. These weren't white elephant gifts. Okay. Uh, these, were, these were nice, expensive gifts. And we actually don't even know how much that they gave. They might have, there might have been boatloads of gold. There might have been boatloads of myrrh, of frankincense. You know, Mary's like, I don't know what I'm going to do with all this myrrh, you know? She's, but we don't know. Maybe it was just tons. But what we know is that uh, they gave generously. Um, and 
as we approach Christmas, there's going to be lots of gift giving. There's going to be lots of gift receiving. All that's going on right now. We're excited to do it. Some of you have a gift that you bought somebody and it's wrapped already. Or maybe it's up in your closet. You haven't wrapped it yet, but you're so excited to give it because you just know what kind of joy it's going to bring someone, you know. Um, You've got one of those that you're sort of holding on to. You can't wait for that person to open it. It's so fun to give gifts. And what I want you to understand is that as Christians, we have the most reasons to be generous. Not just at Christmas, but all through through our lives. With our whole lives, we have have the most reasons to be generous. I was looking it up the other day. Um, the, the CEO of Amazon, I don't, Jeff, I don't know how to say Bezos or Bezos. Is it Bezos? Eh? Be? Bezos. Thank you. Thank you. You know. In 2017, catch this. In 2017, um, his net worth grew $107 million every single day in 2017. His, his wealth grew um, beyond $4 billion just in 2017. 2018, the numbers aren't in yet, but it's even, it's even bigger. Um, he's the first human being that is rapidly approaching to becoming the first trillionaire. And, but here's what I want you to think about. This is, I, when I, when I, <laughs> I, I shouldn't say this out loud because you'll laugh at me. Um, when I think about this sometimes, I giggle a little bit. I just think, think about this, is that, Because God has come to us, because God has looked at you and me and has said, listen, I love you no matter what your performance, I love you no matter what your history or past is, I love you no matter what sort of trouble you've gotten yourself in, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, your identity is wrapped up in me, I have clothing you in my righteousness, your eternity is secured, you have a new heart, I am with you, I will never leave you, death can't take anything away from you. I mean, if that's all true about what we believe as Christians, you know what that means? Every single one of us is a multi-cazillionaire. That's what it means. You are richer than Jeff. You are richer. And therefore, we have all the reasons to be generous. Can you imagine if you have $100 in the bank, giving away like 50 bucks is tough, right? That would be really hard. Or what if you have what if you have a hundred what if you have zero dollars in the bank but somebody owes you a hundred? It's going to be hard to cancel that debt. It's going to be really hard to cancel that debt because you need that hundred bucks. But what if you have billions and billions and billions in the bank? Guess what fifty bucks is? Nothing. Guess what? Guess what canceling debts is? It's nothing. It's nothing. And in Christ, we are all gazillionaires. And Christmas tells us that. And these guys traveled great lengths to bring their gift because God went to great lengths to bring his. Last, they were overjoyed. Number five is my last one. They were overjoyed. Matthew 2.10 says, when they saw the star, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And in fact, you see that, you know, the, the angels say it's going to bring great joy. They were overjoyed. They were overjoyed. All of them, when they came to heard the news, um, they rejoiced. Um, <clears throat> I, was, I was, was like thinking, should I bring this up? I, I don't know. It's just, um, I feel like sometimes we, um, well, let me say it this way. Um, when you encounter Jesus, he came for us. He died for us. He rose again. 
it's all very, uh, it's sacred. It is sacred. I mean, it's heavy. Repentance is like, you know, heart stuff. I mean, there's this heaviness about, about understanding that we're literally worshiping the king of the universe and he came and gave us grace. I mean, it should just make us just break our hearts and just, but also, you know what it should do though? I mean, the first response is, it was, it was heavy, but do you know what it kind of more was? It was joyful, that our worship gets to be joyful, filled with joy, rejoicing, even in the midst of our situations, that we can rejoice. And sometimes I feel like that we, and maybe I'm talking about me, maybe I'm just talking to myself, I don't, but I feel like sometimes when we worship, and I'm not just talking about the singing part of our gatherings, but just our worship in general, sometimes it can be way heavier than it's supposed to be. And sometimes we're, we're supposed to approach our faith with just with some smiles and some joy and celebration. Do you know Jewish people know how to celebrate well? They just kick our tails when it comes to celebrating. We think we celebrate, but no, when you do so, like go to a Jewish celebration and they're like partying for eight days straight, you know? Or I've got some neighbors from Venezuela and they had this like quinceanera sort of party and it lasted three nights. And it was like the music was bumping to like one in the morning and Jeremiah comes out with his blanket and he's like, Dad, it's so loud out there. Should we tell him to keep it down? And I was like, no, because I, I think it's awesome. Like they're just partying. They're just celebrating. I love that we can learn so much from other cultures of how we do that. I know we celebrate too, but I just feel like sometimes we get caught up. We, you know, we think, oh, it's supposed to be somber. Um, you know, one of the reasons why we play games at our church, we have Plinko and we play, you know, toss the, the fruit cake, you know, all the silly games that we play. Why? It's because of this. One of our values is we want to take Jesus really seriously, but we don't want to take ourselves too seriously. Our worship gets to be joyful to him. You might be thinking, yeah, but I'm an introvert. Guess what? They rejoiced. Yeah, you might say, yeah, but I, I don't really like singing songs. Guess what? They rejoiced. You might say, well, I don't have a very good voice. I don't really like, you know, singing or, you know, being expressive. Listen, they came and they worshiped. And you know what's interesting to me? And I'll wrap it up right here. Listen. Is they came and they worshiped. And Jesus hasn't even done anything yet. Jesus hasn't cast out a demon yet. Jesus hasn't preached a sermon yet. Jesus hasn't healed anyone yet. Jesus hasn't said anything profound yet. Jesus hasn't even gone to the cross yet. And they come and they worship him. We are in such a privileged place in history because we get to look back. We know who he is. We know what he's done. We know that he came. We know that he went to the cross for our sins. We know that he rose again on the third day. And we know that he has conquered death forever. And we know that he's coming back again. And death will not stop his kingdom. If we know all that stuff, then guess what, church? We can be joyful. We can find joy in anything.